Lord, thank you for Jalisa. Thank you for um, your call on her life, first to be your child, and then second to be your servant in ministry. Lord, thank you that as you call, you equip. Thank you that this is a place where she's being equipped and that you've drawn her and Brendan here to be a part of this family and to grow together with us for years. Lord, we, we just um, thank and bless you for both of them, for their hearts, their love for you that's obvious, and for the way that we've already grown in fellowship with them. Now, Lord, thank you that Julissa is standing here to bring your word. And Lord, we remember what was spoken about you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, or upon me, Isaiah says, because He's anointed me to proclaim good news. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've anointed Jalisa to bring good news and that it's not in her own strength. It's by your Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, fill her afresh, fall upon her with the love and the power of Jesus to bring words that when received by our hearts would bring life. Do this to strengthen your church, Jesus, and to bring glory to God, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Good morning. Can you hear me? Did I do this right? <laughs> Thanks. The word of the Lord comes to us today from Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to read from verse 9 to 17. Page 1630 in your pew Bibles. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. How many of you have seen the show Friends? It's one of my favorites. If you haven't seen it, Friends is a sitcom that tells the stories of six friends. Um, They're about 20-something years old, and they live in New York City. So they're dating, and they're chasing careers, and they're trying to figure out how to be (laughs) grown-ups. One of my favorite characters is this guy. 
His name is Joey Tribbiani, and Joey is a young, handsome, Italian-American guy. He's not very smart, but he's got a little bit of an Italian accent that makes him really charming. And Joey wants to be an actor. That's all he wants to do. The entire storyline is him chasing this acting career. And one day, Joey gets a call from his, um, what do you call it, like his uh, manager, that he's landed an audition to play, of all things, a young, handsome, Italian-American guy with an accent on a soap opera. Joey is over the moon. This is his moment. It's his big break. There is no way that Joey can't get this part because he's basically playing himself, right? How many of you have seen this episode? It's a good one. Okay. So Joey goes home from his audition, and he's lounging around the apartment with his friends, bragging about what a big deal he's going to be, right? I'm going to be on the soap opera, and I'm going to be famous. And then the phone rings, and it's Joey's manager. Joey, she says, you didn't get the part. They said that you have the worst Italian accent they'd ever heard. <laughs> worst Italian accent, Joey says. I am Italian. What a shock and a disappointment. How is it possible to be everything that was asked for and to still be denied? Does this remind you of anyone in our story today? Last week, Pastor Gina taught us about the persistence of prayer and how it's important to be persistent. She, pray, or she preached from the parable of the persistent widow. Today, Luke has moved on to another parable that's also about prayer. He's teaching us about the posture or attitude with which we can pray, and he's given us two examples of people praying to look at. We've got two characters, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And I know we've talked about Pharisees before, but for review's sake, Pharisees were religious men. They followed Jewish law with strict adherence. They were extremely devout and religious, and they're what you would call pious, which means to be extremely righteous and to follow the laws of religion. Pharisees were also incredibly vocal and outward with how they practiced their faith. So they would tithe and fast and pray so that everybody could see them. They were often very prideful, and they often thought that they were much more righteous and closer to God than anyone around. So here this Pharisee comes up to the temple to pray. And much like Joey heading to his audition, the Pharisee is pretty convinced that he is exactly the guy that God wants to hear from today. After all, he's not a robber, he's not an adulterer, he's a good Pharisee. He fasts twice a week and he tithes as directed by the law. He's even praying nice and loud so that everyone in the temple can learn from his pious example. He is, according to the law and by his own measure, a good man. He has earned his place at this temple. God I thank you that I am not like this tax collector. So what's so bad about being a tax collector? Tax collectors were literally loathed by everyone in the Jewish community and everyone of the time because they did exactly what their name states. They collected taxes. So think about the IRS when they come after you. 
Nobody likes the tax collectors. So in the mind of our Pharisee, if anyone is leaving this temple sinful, held down by sin, unjustified, and unable to earn the favor of God, it's the tax collector. Thank you, God, that I am not like this nasty, dirty, deceptive fax collector, he prays. The problem in this story isn't an issue of following the rules, though. Both the Pharisee and the tax collector are where they're supposed to be on the Sabbath. They're praying. They're at the temple, and they acknowledge God. The issue here is the attitude or posture with which they each approach God. The Pharisee is convinced that his good works and religious deeds have earned him the favor of the Lord. He doesn't even think to ask for forgiveness. He just tries to elevate himself up to God, and he tells God about all the wonderful things that he's done that should earn him this spot. He verbally embarrasses someone else in the temple for being sinful. But what the Pharisee fails to see is his own sin of pride and self-righteousness. There is nothing humble about our Pharisee. But before we just throw this guy under the bus and leave this room praying, God, I'm so glad that I'm not like this tax or this Pharisee, let's think about the times when we behave without humility when we approach God with pride and look at others with self-righteousness. Sometimes we think that we've got it all together, right? Like Joey and the Pharisee, we are convinced of our own righteousness. Maybe we've been working really hard at being good Christians. Despite whatever's in our past, we've been showing up on Sundays. We might put some money in the collection plate. We might help with children's ministry or participate somewhere. We're doing all the right things. And we're pretty confident that God must be extra pleased with us because of how hard we've been working. Maybe we've always been Christians, but the Holy Spirit has been prodding us to do just a little bit more. Or maybe we're in the middle of walking through a transformational journey with God where he's bringing healing and growth. But wherever we're at, sometimes our sinful brothers and sisters around us can drive us nuts. We wonder why our sister can't stop drinking or why our brother can't just be faithful to his wife. We don't understand why our uncle keeps lying or our aunt can't control her temper. We don't understand why our parents are so negative, our siblings don't participate in church, and that our friends aren't consistent with their promise to be at church. We're so disgusted with our neighbors for not being like us, and in our prideful annoyance, we pat ourselves on the back and say, Thank you, God, that I'm not like them, and that I am doing such a good job. Haven't we all been that prideful Pharisee who holds himself so much higher than everyone else? The guy that thinks he's earned his spot at God's table. Our pride is so certain that we've earned God's favor and that others are so sinful. They're certainly disappointing God and there's no way that God can love them the way that he loves us because they have not worked as hard as we have. 
We completely disregard God's hand in who we are and who he's making us to be and that we are sinful and entirely dependent on him for everything that we have. No matter where we're at in our journey with God, humility can be so hard to grasp. When Luke writes about humility, the word that he uses for humility means to bring low, to make low, to be ranked below others who are honored or rewarded, and to have a modest opinion of oneself. These are all things that Joey lacked, that our Pharisee lacked, and that God is asking us to check in our own lives this morning. So meanwhile, as our Pharisee is pridefully approaching God at the temple, the scum of the earth, greedy, dishonest, disgusting tax collector is literally on his knees before God, beating his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. The tax collector has made himself lower than those around him, physically and spiritually. He's literally on his knees in front of an intimidating tax collector, begging for mercy. This man is overcome with the magnitude of his need for God. He has been humbled. Can you imagine the state of a man who beats his chest before God begging for mercy like the tax collector? The absolute sincerity and fervor and repentance. None of this, oops, sorry God, I messed up. I'll do better next time. But an actual authentic, authentic awareness of sinfulness and a need for God that only the Spirit can produce. This tax collector is no more sinful than you or I or the Pharisee. He simply invited and allowed the Spirit of God to penetrate his heart to such a degree that he is fully aware of his sinful nature and of his desperate need for God. He is humble. To which Jesus says, I tell you that this man, the humble sinner of a tax collector, rather than the prideful and self-righteous Pharisee, went home justified, forgiven, clean of his sins. For those who exalt themselves, like the Pharisee, will be humbled. But those who humble themselves, like the tax collector, will be exalted. Exalted. What a word. We almost always use the word exalted when we're talking about how we exalt God. It's high praise, right? The word that Luke used here means to lift up on high, to raise to the very summit of opulence and prosperity, to exalt, to raise to dignity, honor, and happiness. But those who humble themselves will be raised to dignity, to honor, and to happiness. In other words, God does not expect us to be perfect. In fact, he is 100% aware that we are all sinners. Romans 3 says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. God does not expect us to be perfect. To be pious like the Pharisee. Instead, through his spirit, God equips and calls us to be humble. 
Now, I don't believe that God is saying that if we confess our sins, he'll give us a new car or a new house by the lake or help us win the lottery. It's scary when you use the word prosperity. But what I do believe that he's saying is that he's inviting us to the peace and the healing that comes when we submit to God. When we realize that we cannot elbow grease, work hard, bust or break our own way into heaven. That the gift of salvation comes freely, regardless of works. And that when we humble ourselves before him, he exalts us to the peace that comes with the awareness of his love. That's the grace that God has for all of us this morning. That he is lovingly calling us to humility so that he can exalt us. So where does that leave Jesus and the little children? Scholars who have studied the gospel, and particularly Luke, talk about how when Luke would tell a parable, when he would talk about one of Jesus' parables, he would immediately follow it up with a story of Jesus practicing the point of the parable. So think of it as Jesus practicing what he preached. So imagine Jesus sitting on a hillside, preaching to a massive crowd of people. His disciples are probably sitting around him, watching the crowds, And when Jesus has finished preaching, people start to line up. They've heard that this man makes the blind see and the deaf hear. So I would imagine that the lines probably got pretty long and chaotic once in a while. Eventually, people start bringing in their children for Jesus to touch. Now, the word here for children is actually translated as infant. So people are bringing babies up to Jesus for him to touch and to bless them. Now, the disciples are immediately annoyed by this. These are babies. They don't know who Jesus is. They certainly can't comprehend the magnitude of the message that he's just given. How are they supposed to understand parables? They're insignificant, and frankly, they're kind of a waste of time. Like, look at the line, Jesus. We have a lot of things to get through today. But instead of thanking his disciples for their crowd control abilities and for maintaining efficiency this morning, Jesus says, hold on. Bring the babies here and don't try to stop it. For the kingdom of God, my kingdom belongs to such as these. Seriously, if you don't enter into the kingdom, if you don't hear my words like these children, you're not going to get in. So how does this fit with the Pharisee and the tax collector? And what does it say about our prayer relationship with God? Take a look at this beautiful father and his infant son. This father is clearly so in love with his son. And of course we all love babies, right? We think of babies as being innocent and sweet But let's be honest, babies can be some of the most needy and selfish creatures on the planet. I did a lot of babysitting as a teenager, and I remember one summer I was so excited because I got to nanny for a family that had a three-year-old little girl and a six-month-old baby. So I don't know if you know any, like, 15-year-old girls, but babies is as good as it gets, right? I was so excited. But boy, did those sweet baby girls run me ragged that summer. The baby needed to be fed every three hours, count them three. 
So she had to be fed, then she had to be burped, and then she had to be changed, and then she had to be rocked. By the time I was done, we had to start all over again, right? Meanwhile, the toddler's running around, hands in everything, begging for attention, having full-blown meltdown anytime we say no. She would whine and beg and cry until she got her way with nearly everything because it's kind of hard to share with a, with a new baby, right? These little girls needed me for everything, for food, for guidance, for all the things that they needed to get through their day. And my goodness, were they persistent with their needs. Like our tax collector, babies are needy creatures. They are sinful creatures. They don't hide or lie about their shortcomings. They don't try to earn your love. In fact, they just assume that everyone loves them. They aren't prideful. They certainly don't compare themselves to other babies down the street. Babies are humble in that they do not trust their own strength for anything. They fully submit themselves to their caregivers, and they are fully persistent about their needs. Just as we know that babies need us and depend on us for every part of their lives, our Father is aware that we are sinful and that we need him for every part of our lives. And he loves us with a fury that can never be thwarted. He sent his son to die for your sins and my sins, and he knew what they were then. He knew who we were going to be. And so we can stop trying to hide our sins from God. We can stop trying to earn our own salvation or place at God's table. It's already been taken care of. Just as he loved and exalted the tax collector and the babies, he loves and wishes to exalt each one of us. So this morning, as our Heavenly Father meets us in prayer and then at communion, let us think about what the Spirit is doing in our hearts. Is God lovingly inviting us to humble ourselves and confess some things that we've been holding back from him? Is he inviting us to depend on him instead of pridefully trying to earn our own salvation and love? Is he asking us to stop comparing ourselves to others and to peacefully rest in the overwhelming love that he has for all of us. This morning, I believe that our Father is lovingly and gently inviting us to trust in him and to humble ourselves before him so that at the proper time he might exalt us. So let us approach the table with humility, confident that each one of us will leave loved, forgiven, and exalted by our loving and merciful Father.